You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NCI Properties. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us for another edition of the Zone 32 podcast. The only All 32 podcast, courtesy of NeutralZone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NCI Properties and online at NeutralZoneInfraction.com. Max, Grant, Jake, joined by a special guest, John Vicari, covering the Giants. For NZI, we'll get into a little bit of that later as we discuss and preview our, our Week 16 matchup between the Ravens and Giants. We're going to hit the ground running, though, fellas. So real quick, before I turn things over to you, quick NFL news from Week 15. Uh, a couple of the highlights in the Buffalo Bills winning their first AFC East Division title since 1995, dominating the Denver Broncos 48-19 to on the road. The Atlanta Falcons blew another lead lost at home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-27. The Miami Dolphins, unfortunately for the Ravens, defeated the New England Patriots 22-12. However, it's silver lining. The Pats will miss the postseason for the first time since 2008. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs league leaders in the AFC outlasted the new the excuse me, outlasted the Drew Brees led New Orleans Saints. Brees in his return Unfortunately, was unable to keep pace. Chiefs win 32-29 to maintain pole position in the conference for a first-round bye. The Chiefs will presumably clinch the number one overall seed with a win this week or another Pittsburgh and Buffalo loss. In Pittsburgh, the Steelers were upset by the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football in an abysmal, abysmal primetime loss. 27 to 17. This was Cincinnati's first home victory versus the Steelers in seven years. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh suffers their third straight loss. We will revisit this game at a later time or date. And in other news, the New York Jets, previously winless, attained their first win of the season, uh, upsetting the LA Rams 23 to 20. The city of Jacksonville rejoicing because they now hold the number one overall pick. And they are presumably in the running for a Clemson quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Meanwhile, the Jets are wondering what the hell they're doing with Adam Gase still at the helm. And speaking of Jacksonville, getting into our first segment, the Ravens absolutely demolished the Jacksonville Jaguars 40-14. to This was the Ravens' 37th straight regular season game with at least 110 yards rushing. The last time in which they were held under 100 yards rushing in the regular season, Joe Flacco was quarterback. So we're going to turn things over to our expert analysts. And I call you experts because I'm biased and not just because you guys happen to be here listening right now. Uh, Grant and Jake, Grant, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts on this uh, bounce back, get right game for the Ravens. I mean, the season's favorable the rest of the way. So, I mean, this was one that if it was a close game, it would have been a win, but I wouldn't have considered it a win because that wasn't a situation where it should have been close. So, I mean, I think that, you know, defensively, you know, there was some confidence boosters on there. I think Patrick Queen, you know, he made some plays, was kind of having some issues the past couple of weeks over pursuing holes. But at the end of the day, like he's got some juice in his step now. You know, he's retweeting stuff about – you know, his game, and he's talking about how he's not done yet. He's got a lot of room to grow, you know. That type of recognition will give a young guy confidence. I mean, he's hopped in and playing in a role right now that not anybody can just hop in and play. You know, he might get overly criticized, but, man, you're the starting linebacker for a weak Martindale defense. You better know your shit. And um, I I think it was a great win, I think, all around the board. They got the offense back on track, you know, um, getting healthy. You know, it it was a must win, and it was a a 
you know, there's never a guaranteed win in the NFL any given Sunday, and I'm a firm believer of that. You will never hear me, no matter who any team plays, say, oh, yeah, that's going to be a blowout or that's going to be this or that. Now, I might say it should be a blowout, but I have seen everything. I've seen teams – like, I mean, look at the other night, for instance. I mean, the Bengals game, Ryan Finley – you know, stomped a mud hole in him, and it's so awesome to see. Damn, what a good night. But, no, I mean, it, it was something that was needed. Got to continue on. But any given Sunday, went out, control your own destiny. All this harping on Twitter and social media about, we need so-and-so to win, lose, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter if we don't win out. So worry about your own way. You know, play each game at a time. If we get in, then we're going to be a problem, and that's what, how I really feel about it. All right, now, Jake, if we're looking back, at this week 15 matchup, a game that obviously the Ravens were expected to win. If there was ever any sort of moment where you figure that this game was ever in doubt, did it ever come up to you despite the score? And I say this if only because we're still watching this Ravens offense still adjust. And, and again, this is weird to say, you know, at this point of the season that the Ravens offense still isn't completely in flux, but there was a little bit of pause that I at least had watching because despite Lamar carving up that defense, um, there are a couple of times where the Jaguars defense in turn showed a little bit of promise, a couple of batted down balls and such. But Jake, again, going back to my question, was there any point where you had any sort of doubt or any sort of just panic in watching? Only in the first drive when he threw that pit, when Lamar threw that pick. Uh, obviously it's capitalized right after Judon gave a safety outside of that. No, nah, going into the game, I was confident that they would get the dub and, and they proved it shouldn't have been a close game. The Jags have lost out 13 games in a row and they showed exactly why the encouraging things was seeing that front seven dominate for the past two weeks between the Cowboys and the Browns, that front seven has combined for a single sack out of those two weeks. Going back to last week, they had five against Minshew and, so that was encouraging. We've been needing to see more production out of Yannick and Derek Crew. So that that was nice. The running game was there. Lamar did, but Dobbins running effective, getting a couple of... It was a good win. Lamar looked efficient. And as always, the offense is a front is a front running offense. As soon as they get a lead, they tend to pile on on teams. So that was not... So that was what happens this week. But I mean, 40 to 14, That there's nothing much to say other than they got dominated. I mean, there was a few lucky the Tyree, the Tyree fill and run for, I want to say 12 yards, the fumble recovery. That's about sorry, it. Right? I think you mean the angry runs king of the week, Tyree Phillips. <laughs> Deservedly so too. Absolutely. You need to hell with Derrick Henry. He does that, that stiff arm seems like every week now. So good on the big fella getting some love. Yeah. That was maybe the only fortunate play that I can think of that Baltimore had through that afternoon. I mean, they dominated. They showed why they were the superior team to the lowly Jaguars and why the Jaguars currently hold the number one pick in the draft. They dominated. Playing some- yeah, and, and, and Jake, you're right. There really isn't a whole lot that you can say about this game. I mean, the Ravens you know, still hold the number one overall spot in terms of rushing attack in all major statistical categories. Yet, in weird contrast, the Ravens' passing attack is 31st in yards. So it's kind of weird. And on top of that, the Ravens' offense, and get this, guys, I had to double check and do a double take when I was looking at the numbers. The Ravens' offense ranks 21st in overall yardage, but sixth in scoring. So it's like a tale of two units. It's almost as if, you know, Greg Roman, great as he did last year as the offensive coordinator, he can't find an identity. Hold and on, guys, you mean Baltimore has red zone problems? Wait, what? <laughs> 
but no, I want to feed on something else that was kind of a little bit in the game that you know you guys probably noticed on that little live wire thing. But I like this little male bonding nudge nudge going on with Miles Jack and John Harbaugh. You know, Miles Jack's coming up with a little contract. He's an athletic linebacker next to Patrick Queen might cause some problems sideline to sideline. I'm just saying. Hey, and he and he is tight with Yannick and with Calais Campbell, and we know that there's tampering Listen, that goes bud, on. I'm telling but you, just remember, old Grant over here said that you would be a fool if you didn't believe that season wide throughout the league that there's some you know there isn't some level of tampering going on. We know players talk. You're not going to stop them from texting and you know having the group chats and whatnot. So I mean, I've been it, tampering uh, with Allen Robinson for four years. You know what? There's tampering going on. Hey, the Giants might be in the A-Rod sweepstakes next year, especially if they feel that they don't need Golden Tate at this point. We're going to get into that in a little bit. So we're going we're gonna to close the book on Week 15. That was, that was, that was a good get-right game. It was what it was. The Ravens did what, what good teams are supposed to do against teams with losing records. But this week coming up, this is a little different in week 16 because although the Giants are 5 and 9, they are second place in the NFC East and they are still alive in the playoff race. Uh we're going to turn to our guest in a second here, but just to set the table, the Giants have two playoff scenarios. They can either win both games and Washington drops one or They can still lose to Baltimore this Sunday, surprisingly, but they would need to beat the Cowboys in Week 17 for sure, and they would need Washington to lose out, and they would need the Cowboys to beat the Eagles. Um, There is no scenario in in which the Giants lose this Sunday and Washington beats Carolina. That essentially would eliminate them in Week 16. But that being said, joining us now is John Vicari, one of our gold star writers for NZI covering the Giants. John, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome. Now, we uh, we, we decided if we were going to have our first guest on the show, it's going to be someone who is extremely knowledgeable about their team, brings the talent, brings the hype every single week. Now, John, I did a little bit of research on this game because, of course, that's what we're supposed to do in sports media. But more to the point, I'm going to defer to you and turn the floor to you. What are you looking for in this game for the Giants to come out with a win and keep their playoff hopes alive, especially against the Ravens in the Ravens' final home game of the season? Well, the main storyline has to be, and I think it's with every game, but it's the quarterback for the New York Giants. and that is up in the air right now. It could be Daniel Jones. It could be Colt McCoy. Today, when we're recording, Joe Judge said that Daniel uh, Daniel Jones is on the right track to play on Sunday, but it's not confirmed 100% that he will start. And although you may remember earlier in the season, Colt McCoy started and then beat the Seattle Seahawks back when the Giants controlled their own destiny in Week 13, since then, and in his start to Cleveland, he didn't show up. And he really played to what he is, and that's a backup quarterback. So, Going into this game, the Giants are going to need Daniel Jones to be their quarterback and to be 100%. He sustained two injuries on his ankle and his hamstring. And again, things are going in the right direction, but they're going to need him at 100% if they have any shot of beating Baltimore. And on the flip side, defensively, that's really the Giants' bread and butter, no matter who the quarterback is. They played well versus Cleveland after coming off a tough effort in Arizona where time of possession wasn't in their favor and they were just worn out as the game went on. But versus Cleveland, I think they did better than they should have. They kept it closer than the game really should have been early on. And the rush defense especially got better after getting steamed rolled by Arizona. 
They kept Cleveland to under what they usually average per game this season. And that's going to be the key versus Baltimore. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard it with uh, Lamar Jackson um, and the running back comparisons and the fact that it's a run-heavy offense, even though Lamar has great throwing ability. But it's st- it starts with stopping the run game if you are the Giants versus Baltimore. And those are, those are the two keys that I'm going to look on because – no matter what happens with the defense, they could come out and pitch a near shutout. If Colt McCoy is starting, it's going to be a rough day for the Giants. Now, interestingly enough, you mentioned Daniel Jones. You mentioned Colt McCoy. Uh, latest reports indicate that the Ravens are prepping for the possibility of both quarterbacks. Daniel Jones did return to practice, but in a limited capacity. Now, looking at what I feel is going to be a key matchup here, and and I'll, I'll turn things over to my fellows in a second here, but we're going to stay with you, John. Um, the Giants currently have the 12th overall defense, but their rush defense in particular has been their bread and butter, currently sixth in the NFL against the Ravens' number one rushing attack how do you feel that that Giants front is going to hold up against Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins well it's funny because I mentioned Arizona they had their worst performance of the season in terms of uh keeping the rush yards down Arizona had 153 on the ground but then they responded against Cleveland although uh they had a rushing touchdown they kept him to 106 yards and about 30 carries which approximated to about a 3.5 uh average per rush which was huge for them and Cleveland came in with one of the best rushing attacks in football. Now, the names for Baltimore, and again, it's it's been a three-headed monster, and you guys would know better than me, but it really doesn't matter the top tier back. It's just a constant running ability. And the main thing for the Giants is going to be time of possession because if Baltimore early on can't establish a run game, if the Giants' offense is three and out, they're going to eventually establish a run game. That's just the pattern that has happened this season, and the Giants don't sustain long drives and keep their defense off the field and Baltimore's offense off the field, then it's going to spell trouble. Do they have the capability to stop uh, Baltimore's rushing and contain it and put themselves in an opportunity to win? Absolutely. The Giants have been in a ton of one possession games this season, but it starts with the offense moving the ball. The offense, the defense in a way is reliant on the offense and the defense has been bend, but don't break all season. But if the Giants offense can't put them in a good opportunity in a good spot then they're going to break sooner and that's really the key do they have the capability to do so yes but will they is the question and again this is a team that controlled their destiny in week 13 and as you mentioned on the top don't uh no longer so it's going to be interesting to see how this game shakes out and one the giants are going to need and you touched on it though uh as much as baltimore fans know they need this game the giants definitely need it uh, because there's no wild card scenario for them. It's the vision or bust if they want to appear in the playoffs. Now we're going to hit one more angle, John. So pro bowler James Bradbury, or I should say newly minted pro bowler James Bradbury, uh, was activated off the COVID list this week. He is expected to play. Now he does lead the Giants with three interceptions. More importantly, he is second in the league with 17 pass breakups. That definitely attributed to his uh, league, or excuse me, conference leading uh, number of votes at his position. Bradbury obviously could uh, help with time possession, but in a more uh, you know obtuse way, and you know producing more turnovers or just pretty much stopping the passing attack. But here's an angle I want to hit with you, John. Wayne Gallman at running back, he leads the Giants rushing attack. He's having a career year with a career high in yards from scrimmage and scores. Now, here's an interesting thing I noticed when I was looking at his game logs. 
He had two monster games on the road in weeks 12 and 13. Both were victories against Cincinnati and Seattle. And especially the Seattle game was a huge upset, despite how terrible the Seahawks have been. But Gallman dropped off, and he had only 86 total rushing yards in two home games since then. Do you see Wayne Gallman rebounding this week against a Ravens defense that isn't quite as sharp as last year, but still formidable? Yeah, it's it's tough. And it starts with the offensive line in terms of the rushing attack, because if People know Saquon Barkley was lost early on the season. And for a while, the Giants were without a rush game. There were multiple games early in the season where Daniel Jones led the, uh, in terms of rushing, led the team. And it would just be because he would break a 30-yard run each game. I would joke that one, one at least one play, he would fool the defense on a read option because they were the defenses didn't think he had that running ability. He'd run for 30 yards and then really wouldn't be seen the rest of the day. But that would be enough to lead the team in rushing, which is funny enough. But they finally found Gallman, who's been in the organization for three or four years, and he's been good. But again, it starts with the offensive line. Andrew Thomas, who's a rookie tackle, took some steps in the right direction. His best game was against Seattle. And even last week against Cleveland, he contains Miles Garrett, which was huge. But in Arizona, he had the worst game of his career. So him being on for the Baltimore game is huge because he's been so inconsistent. And The reason the run game, in my opinion, has suffered in the last two weeks is the fact that Jones isn't there because Colt McCoy isn't a rushing or passing threat to the extent that Daniel Jones is. The defenses maybe not believe uh, Jones has top 20 or top 25 quarterback uh, passing stats or is that big of a threat, but he's a way bigger threat than Colt McCoy is. Cleveland loaded the box, and so did Arizona once Jones was knocked out of that game late because they knew that Colt McCoy didn't have the passing and didn't have the rushing ability. So again, it all goes back to Daniel Jones as well as the offensive line. But in terms of Gallman, I don't think it really has been his play just deteriorating. Those stats are just attributed to the what he sees in front of him, and that is not a lot of blocking because the defenses that he's played in the last two weeks, Arizona and Cleveland, have loaded the box, and really from the start, Gallman hasn't had a shot. Now, John, I hope you'll stick around with us because we'll probably want to hear from you towards the end as well when we cover the other games coming up. So thank you for that input. I'm going to put a quick bow on this real quick now with the Giants. Now, I mentioned Pro Bowls. Of course, you know, James Bradbury leading the NFC in Pro Bowl voting at cornerback. He's the first Giants corner to make the Pro Bowl since Janoris Jenkins in 2016. Meanwhile, Evan Ingram is the first Giants tight end since Jeremy Shockey in 2006 to make the Pro Bowl. He himself was surprised, of course, for his selection. But in fairness, Ingram, he is second in the NFC in receiving yards amongst tight ends. Now, turning things over to the Baltimore side of things, the Ravens, to set the table, are 9-5, and five, can't win the division, but they're on the outside looking in of a wild-card berth. They're going to need to win this Sunday and need, in order, either the Dolphins, Browns, or Colts, ideally all three, to lose. Uh, the Ravens can still lose this game, but we need a ton of help in Week 17. Otherwise, you know, the Ravens uh, tie... Uh, for a league-best seven pro bowlers named this week, uh, Orlando Brown Jr., Calais Campbell, Morgan Cox, Marlon Humphrey, Matt Judon, Patrick Ricard, and Justin Tucker in alphabetical order. Just a year ago, the Ravens also tied the NFL record with 12 pro bowls on that list. Now, Grant, I'm going to turn to you. Looking at this Sunday, John mentioned Colt McCoy uh, not being nearly as much of a threat as Daniel Jones. Um, however, the Giants passing attack this is ranked 29th in yardage uh, for a 31st overall ranked offense. Do you think that it really matters in this case for the Ravens, whether it's Jones or McCoy? Who are you more afraid of of the two? I mean, first of all, John, welcome, man. I really, you know, 
with speaking on all of our behalf, you know, we really appreciate you coming on and stuff. Um, when I when I think about that, like I think about like depends. Colt McCoy could be scary because there's not really a game plan for him. You know, that's kind of like the situation where you have the backup quarterback come in um, and you aren't really game planning for him. Daniel Jones has a lot of strengths, big, strong arm. He's very smart. Um, he knows the type of offense. But, you know, I don't think Wayne Gallman's going to do much just because I think um, everybody's getting healthy. Everybody's doing their thing. But, you know, teams like the Giants and this is scare me because they are legit in the hunt right now and you know it's one of the unknowns it's like you know like i talked about before you know you don't ever really say hey somebody's gonna beat somebody because it really is any given sunday and we see it every year sometimes every week and but i do think that the giants do have the skill position not sure what the heck has happened with darius slayton but you know I'm, i'm a big fan of his you know he's got a lot of ability to himself you know you know, Colt McCoy coming in, you know, changes the whole game plan because, like I said, the whole arm strength thing with Daniel Jones, you can make a lot of throws that, you know, Colt McCoy is not really that guy. He's more like a, you know, try to take care of the ball, manage the basics of the offense type of type of player. Um, I don't really think that it's going to go any type of way versus the as far um, which quarterback is what. But, you know, I think you just need to line up at the end of the day i mean if 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 it matters if daniel jones or colt mccoy is who you're playing against then i think that you have bigger worries at that point personally i i agree and more to the point i mean with the ravens again all due respect to the giants because they are second place in their division for a reason they still do have a losing record it's one of those things where again you can't pick who you play but if you are a team with playoff aspirations you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and there's no reason to believe that the ravens should you know, be struggling in this game. But Jake, I'm going to turn to you. I do have a little hesitation because looking at the injury report, uh, although Calais Campbell returned to limited practice, uh, dealing with a calf injury still, and of course, complications from COVID, uh, cornerbacks Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith are still sidelined. That Ravens pass defense, which is only 14 yards allowed, is still vulnerable. And on top of that, Marquise, we're not going to call him Hollywood Brown, uh, was a new addition to the injury report on Wednesday. Uh, he's dealing with a knee issue. Um, on the flip side, like I said, James Bradbury, back off the COVID list for the Giants. I mean, he is a threat in that secondary, clearly having a career year. Jake, how do you think this Ravens offense is going to fare against this Giants team? I'm not going to lie. It could get kind of ugly. I mean, consider the Giants have two first-rounders along their defensive line, and Leonard Williams is playing at a really high level right now, leading the team in sacks. So all things considered, I could see this game being ugly and more of a defensive struggle. The key to me is, just like last week, the front seven needs to dominate. If Daniel Jones is in there, you need to get hit him on his back. You need to cause him to fumble because he has 10 lost fumbles on the year. So all things considered, you got to dominate. Doesn't matter who's in your second. Though, with a week like that, Peter's out again. They have a couple of receivers who can take advantage. Sterling Shepard's not bad. Darius Slayton can play too. It's a matter of protecting. It's a matter of getting after the Giants and don't let them protect it. The difference is I think McCoy will get rid of the ball quicker. Daniel Jones will try to make their play. Problem with Jones is the fact that he can run. And if he can run and you're not just in your rush lane, take one for 80 on you again. Though, let's hope he stumbles before he falls into the end zone. It's Philly. I could see this being like a 19 to 10 kind of game, to be honest. Like, it's, it's nothing against our offense. 
their defense is good. They give up under four yards per carry, and there's only six defenses in the league right now that give up that few yards per carry NFL. So that's crazy to me, the state of defense this season. But nonetheless, do what you do. If you're going to win this game, keep doing what you do. Cleveland going to the week 14, they were a good run defense. And Baltimore put over 200 yards of the threat of Lamar. Just like what John pointed, the Giants' worst game as far as defending the run went was against Arizona. We have little Kyler Murray who likes to run the ball. And Drake. So you have players who can do it. So get it. So really get it done. Run the ball, set up the play action, get out with a win. Style points are irrelevant. You got to keep winning. You got to win out and get some help along the way. Now, before we get hey, you, you want to laugh about Daniel Jones's rushing real quick? So I'm a big <laughs> UNC fan. I'm a big, big, big UNC fan. Also, in his senior year, he freaking ran like 105 against Carolina. Like, yeah, it's Carolina's defense, but he had like 12 carries for like 185 yards. Which it's crazy to me that Daniel Jones is second on the team in rushing. Which, again, this is kind of hypocritical because we have a quarterback, but it's the fact that, you know, free agent pickup Devontae Freeman hasn't really done a whole heck of a lot, only 3.2 yards per carry. Alfred Morris, I mean, he's not getting the touches that he should be. I mean, the guy is 4.7 yards per tote, and he's got 222 rushing yards, and yet Devontae Freeman was supposed to be the guy? Like, what the heck? But if if Quadzilla's there, that's a different story. If Quadzilla's there, it's a Max, you bring up a funny point because the Giants have two rushers, right, in Deion Lewis and Gallman that were there at the beginning of the season, but they instead bring in Morris and Freeman, and Morris and Freeman have relatively done nothing. When Deion Lewis gets into the game, he's a good pass catcher on third down scenarios, and as we mentioned with Gallman earlier on, he's our leading rusher on the team. So it's sort of funny, I think, as you mentioned with Bradbury, Gettleman, in terms of he's the Giants GM, has made great moves on the defense, bringing in. Bradbury, Blake Martinez, making a trade for Leonard Williams late last season. But in the running back scenario, filling Saquon Barkley has relatively come from what we had at the beginning of the season, yet we have signed two players that have not produced a lot but are still getting some touches that are taking away from Gallman in a certain extent because they are big game, uh, big names in Morris and Freeman. I'm glad you and brought up you Dave Gettleman. And credit like the whole Bradbury thing too. Like, I mean, I'm at Carolina everything outside of the Orioles and like I closely follow the Panthers sometimes, and Bradbury is such a stud. Like how he got out of there, and then would criticize the Giants for paying him the money they paid him. I'm like, bro, you have no idea. That man is a he. He, he can lock you man on man, and he can also zone coverage in every every zone situation. He's a four down corner. Period. And and I was like, damn. And then Blake Martinez too. I, that was another guy that I got criticized for because I wanted Baltimore to get him bad. Because he's a he's a sure tackler. He fills gaps. He's smart. He's intuitive, and he knows like defenses and knows where to be. He doesn't get the glitz and the glamour, but he's a hard nose type guy. He's like an LJ Ford guy, but more athletic with a smarter mentality to him. Oh gosh! Again, Green Bay never should have let Martinez go. I mean, props to David Gettleman. As much as I shit on him as a GM, I mean, he's low key at least on the defensive side. Made some great moves. I mean, Logan Ryan was low-key a great pickup. I thought Ryan didn't have anything left in the tank. Jabril Peppers has been lights out this year in situational football. Um, I mean, that defense is much better than they've appeared in the box score. It's just that on the offensive side, I don't know how he is as an evaluator of talent, thinking that, you know, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard was going to be enough. I mean, Slayton's been okay, but it's like 
I, I almost feel as if they went for broke on defense because they figured they would have Saquon all year long. And, of course, the freak injury occurs, and their season was nearly a bust set. And I'm not going to write the final eulogy for the Giants on 2020, because the fact of the matter is, no matter what happens Sunday, as long as they mathematically have a shot, this at least is somewhat of a silver lining for them to build upon, whether Jones is their man moving forward or not, which they insist he is. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the season, sorry, one final note before we uh, move yeah. on. At the beginning of the season, there was this expectation, at least for me and most Giants fans, two things. Team gets better, and Daniel Jones is our guy. And if he's not, go draft someone like a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, whoever out of college. It is decided, I think, that Jones is the future, and you get to see some winning football on top of that. The reason, though, I think I will be disappointed, and many Giants fans will be if they don't make the playoffs, or I think the expectations adjusted when the Giants beat Seattle. Because up to that point, it was winning games and being in a, and being in pretty much every game and some of them going your way and some of, some of them not. But when the Giants beat Seattle, who at the time was second in the NFC with Colt McCoy as your quarterback, the expectations became playoff or bust, where at the beginning of the season they weren't. So, And that's, again, when they controlled their destiny. No longer do. So if they do fall flat of the playoffs, in a couple weeks I'm sure I'll look at how the Giants have improved the season and Jones our guy and, and take some positives out of it. But in, in the relatively uh, you know shortcoming of these two weeks, I'm uh, going to be disappointed if the Giants do not secure a spot in the play. Now, I will say this. Regardless of what happens with postseason, Joe Judge has said that you know the postseason is not make or break for them. They still have a ways to go, he's admitted. But looking at the slate of free agent quarterbacks on the market, I mean, you have to imagine that with Dak Prescott having had his season-ending injury, Jason Garrett's going to be whispering in Dave Gettleman's ear to make a run for him, even if even if Joe Judge thinks that Daniel Jones is their future, because it's going to be all too tempting. Cap space aside, it's going to be tempting for Garrett to want to pick up his former Cowboys cast off. If Zeke Elliott is available, despite having Saquon, you don't have to imagine he'd be looking at Zeke, too. I mean, you could be looking at a New York Giants team that's going to much resemble a Dallas Cowboys offense from two years ago. And it'd be, if you told any Giants fan that this is what was going to happen, they would laugh in your face. But, you know, so we'll, we'll revisit this topic probably in the offseason because, John, I think I do want you back on this offseason for sure. Um, so we're going to start to put a bow on things before we get to our final, final segment that I know – at least Grant and Jake, I know you're going to enjoy this last second, so stay with me here, John. Um, real quick, looking at quick matchups of note in Week 16 as well, you've got a battle of AFC playoff contenders in the Steelers and Colts facing off kickoff is uh, 1 o'clock Sunday. Uh, right now, the Colts are tied with the Titans, but technically second in the head-to-head. Either way, both teams have not secured their division titles yet. Uh, The Seahawks uh, host the L.A. Rams, uh, 4.25 p.m. Eastern kickoff, potentially a division-clinching game for the Seahawks. And our Sunday night football matchup uh, sees the Green Bay Packers hosting the Tennessee Titans. Green Bay can clinch home field advantage in the NFC with a little bit of help. Otherwise, it'll be a Week 17 scenario. Now, gentlemen, and John, I'm going to include you with this. You're going to be first up. I don't know if this is something you particularly want to partake in because it's not your division, but we feel obligated as Ravens fans here, three out of the four of us, to shit on the Pittsburgh Steelers for their showing on Monday Night Football. One, because we hate the Steelers, but two, it's always nice to see someone who's smug and on top get knocked down from their perch just a little bit, or in this case, three straight games. Uh, But that said, 
John, your thoughts on the state of the Steelers right now? Yeah, I'll gladly partake because Pittsburgh couldn't handle Washington. And that annoyed me to no end because if Pittsburgh did what they had to do against Washington and remain undefeated, the Giants would be in such a better spot. Instead, after the Giants pulled off what I thought was the upset of the year in terms of being the Seattle Seahawks, a day later or two days later was one of those postponed games. Washington followed it up with an upset of the Steelers. And I was like, are you kidding me, Pittsburgh? They, I, I think they're frauds in terms of looking at the AFC. I think Buffalo is better than them. Kansas City is better than them. You guys, in terms of the Ravens, are better than them. And uh, who's coming out of the South? The Colts, I think, or, or even Titans would be better than them. I think the last wild card spot would be the only team Pittsburgh has an upper hand on. They started out great. I am a Tomlin guy. I like I liked the way his culture is in the locker room. I'm not a Juju Smith-Schuster guy. I do not understand the dancing. And I'm glad the Giants got rid of Odell back in the day for similar antics. But, yeah, Pittsburgh I'm annoyed at just because they couldn't handle Washington. And uh, their fall, I didn't, I wouldn't have predicted, but it's shown in these last couple games in which they faced actual competition that they aren't as good as people thought in the beginning of the All right, now, Grant, it's your turn. You get to break out the tiny little violin, the world's tiniest violin, and play it for the Pittsburgh Steelers because, man, I just love gloating. Grant, your thoughts on uh, the black and yellow? Fuck them. No, they're like, you know, and it goes back to that whole thing. We, I, I think Baltimore is better. It took five turnovers and a no-call shot to the head to beat Baltimore, and then they barely walked out of there against RG3 slash Trace McSorley and a four-string offensive line and a four-string running back and no corners. And you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like it's very fortunate. The Giants should have beat them week one. They should have lost to Jeff Driscoll and the Broncos. We've talked about that before. Like, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, when people joke, I mean, yeah, you know, you get the the counter. People are like, they're eleven and zero, man. Okay, well, yeah, they are the worst eleven team that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like, it's okay to say that there can be two things like at the same time that you know might counter opposite each other. But I think that you know, I think that the Colts, the Colts are a team right now that are an aging quarterback away from being the best team in the AFC. If they didn't have Phillip Rivers and they had a 15 quarterback as far as like, you know, somebody that can not even, I don't want to say top 15 because so many things go into a stat or stat categories. I hate when people get into like the, oh man, they're the number one. Like think about defenses. People are like, oh, they're the number one defense. And what, total yard scoring turnovers like you can't categorize anything like that but if you have a, a top 15 quarterback in the sense of you know ability to if philip rivers doesn't move outside of four feet wide versus four feet long like he doesn't you know his arm is not the same ever i don't know who has a bigger you got fucking linguini ben roethlisberger and then you have angel hair pasta philip rivers like they, they can't make the throws they need to make they have the weapons jonathan taylor naheem hines uh, Michael Pittman, who in my mind is better than Claypool. Um, like you have these guys that can't you Trey Burton's an athletic tight end. Mo Alley Cox is a very athletic tight end. Jack Doyle is a, a great tight end. I mean, you have all these weapons in the offense and the one common denominator, phenomenal offensive line. The one common denominator is Phillip Rivers. So I think that the Colts are a scarier team, but they don't scare me at all in the playoffs in the sense that Phillip Rivers does not intimidate me whatsoever. He's going to have to play the game of his life at this point to beat any of the teams that are eligible in the playoffs right now. And, I mean, there's big games on Saturday. You know, you know, we're all Raiders fans, you know, at this point. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of seasons 
whatever it may be. But I think that it, it if the Ravens make the playoffs, the AFC better watch. Exactly. That's not being a homer either. Like, I, I don't do the homer stuff. I don't like the homer stuff. Like, I will criticize what needs to be criticized, but I won't be an ass like, you know, people we see on Twitter all the time. But, like, you know, this team, healthy, confident, and with momentum, is a very dangerous team. Now, Jake, I'm going to let you be the last one to take that little bit of dirt and pile it on top of the coffin that is the Pittsburgh Steelers with their noodle arm rapist quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, I can say that because I am the one putting the show together. Jake, your thoughts on the Steelers and their collapse so far? It's juicy as hell. It would piss me off if they lost out and the Ravens didn't make the playoffs. But even that being said, you shouldn't have to rely on your division rivals to make the postseason should beat them. But that being said, people have pointed out they had the easiest schedule leading up to getting I mean, these past few weeks up until this point, which is why they're eleven and zero. And and as you guys mentioned, escaped some wins they some games they should have lost with wins. On one hand, you can call that the heart of a champion. On the other hand, when you see them put to a Washington football, the Bengals, even Buffalo. Buffalo's good, but that being said, if you're a contender, you can't get smacked around like that. And they did. They had Stefan Diggs. Beasley's nice too, but Stefan Diggs tore him up. And if you're an opposing defense, you can't let Josh Allen go off and keep going to Stefan Diggs. Make someone else beat you. Beasley's nice. But I wouldn't be as worried about him as I would about Diggs. He went off for 10 for a buck 57. Yes, Pittsburgh should be in, should be scared. I mean, I've, I remember I remember a couple of Super Bowl champions lost three in a row and then wound up with a division at home against another team. Even come week sixteen, but if they lose this week to the Colts, plain and simple. I mean, the Colts are a good team as well. Again, you can't lose five in a row and expect to be a contender. Like not by any stretch. To Cleveland, if you lose to Indy on the way to limping your way into the postseason, that's not good. Like teams are already circling Pittsburgh and hoping they get matched up with them in the first round, myself included. Ravens, me, me. get it, get make it happen. Let them get, let them get beat. Let the smugness get slapped off their faces. And the Grant's point earlier, it's Raider Nation on Saturday. I'm not a Raiders fan, but this Saturday I am. Go beat those damn cans of tuna in Miami. So if they win, I'm above that damn cheesy '80s rap song from back in the day where you hear Howie Long and Marcus Allen rapping. For the Raiders, the silver and black. Hey, at that point, hey, at that point, would they be cans of Tua? <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. All things considered, Pittsburgh should absolutely be worried. Ben Roethlisberger right now makes Alex Smith look like he has a cannon. That's how bad he's looking, and they're scared about him getting a hit because he's a 38-year-old quarterback with a history of injuries. So it's partly why they're trying to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible taking these four or five yard dump offs to Juju and Deontay Johnson and barely targeting pull down the field. So, I mean, December football is here. And if you got a noodle alarm, that's not good for the winter time, especially having to make throws and swirling winds. So that's not good for them at all. To the Colts point, they'll go as far as Phillip Rivers takes them. And I'm curious. And here's another thing. Say Andrew Luckla never retires. Maybe the Colts are the best team in the NFL with him under center with the team yeah. that they have assembled around him. Man, they would they'd be, be they'd be world beaters. Plus he can throw plus he can throw on the run. Plus he can Phillip Rivers is a statue. But yes, back to Pittsburgh's point. All bad. Just straight up all bad. Their defense can play, but their offense might screw them over in the end. A defense has to become an all-time group in order for them to make any kind of noise in the playoff. Scariest team right now is the Titans. You know who the Titans remind me of? The Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> 
You're ass. not wrong. I laugh. You're not Manageable wrong. quarterback that doesn't fuck up. Dominant line and running game. The receivers make plays when they have to. You know, like 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 there are things that remind me eerily of the Baltimore Ravens, and it's weird. And not saying right now, but I'm talking about the Baltimore Ravens that we're all used to. Like this whole like new Lamborghini thing with Lamar, and I love him, but it's not what we're all used to. We're used to man, we just got a quarterback, don't throw an interception, but we're going to ground and pound and beat the brakes off of you. Like, we're going to man football you. And the Titans are kind of like that. If they had a better defense, then they'd probably be my favorite out of the AFC, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, now that might be a good topic for next week in terms of how we as fans have adjusted, Ravens fans have adjusted to to seeing a new style of offense in which balance is the key, not yardage. Because, again, most teams, you're expecting – in terms of production, 75% through the air, 25% on the ground, but we're almost an even 50-50, sometimes 60-40 split in, in skewing in favor of, of rushing yards. But, you know, more on that next week. So in the meantime, John, any final words for Ravens Block and our listeners here? No, again, thanks for having me on. I'll be rooting for the Raiders for you guys. And if you guys could root for the Panthers, that'd be very nice because that would definitely help out the Giants. John, for you, I will root for the Panthers, even though I'm a Carolina everything fan, because I appreciate you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, that being said, John, we'll probably talk later about having you back on next week to recap this upcoming game. So we'll we'll talk off air about that. In the meantime, you know, we're going to do our usual, usual goodbyes. So this is uh, being recorded on Christmas. So we hope for you guys who celebrate Christmas, you guys have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever it is you guys celebrate. We'll see you on the flip side next week. In the meantime, this has been the Zone 32 Podcast, NZI's only all 32 podcast, presented by Neutral Zone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties and online at NeutralZoneInfraction.com. This has been John Bacari, Max Picotta, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Grant, Jake, take us out. See ya! And have a happy holiday. Merry Christmas! Max, Grant, Jake. Zone 32. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.